0: in an attempt to make $10 million so that I could prepare for this coming crash. I left my comfort zone even. I used to flip houses at hundred to $200,000. You know, the first one I went after uh, was, you know, $500,000 fixed it up, put $165,000 in it, listed it for a million dollars, was on flip that house and everything. It looked like a big success story. (laughs) Listed it. Three days later, Bear Stearns goes under. And the rest is history. I chased about 11 houses down, completely imploding my uh, every financial success I had. And um, it was a disaster. And by late 2008, I was sitting in a bankruptcy attorney's office with my wife. She was crying. (laughs) We stand today. This is Method with the Shadow. The
1: Business Method.
0: The Business Method podcast.
1: The Business Method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneur's systems,
0: methods, tools and tactics for location independence.
1: On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses, and we are getting behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build businesses like this. On top of that, we also gather entrepreneurs at events and retreats around the world. This October, we are having our annual event in Thailand, Get Shit Done Live. It's 10 days of high-performance productivity, targeted collaboration, and rapid execution designed for entrepreneurs to get a lot of work Done in a little amount of time. Some say it's like ten months of work in ten days. There's a magic that happens when brilliant minds come together to push one another towards productive execution. That is exactly what this retreat is about. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That is thebusinessmethod.com. Now, let's jump in today's show. The
0: Business Method.
1: I love hearing stories of entrepreneurs hitting rock bottom and building their way back up to the top. They are the stories of persistence, inspiration, and bare-knuckle drive to never accept something less than what they feel they deserve. Today's guest is in that category of incredible people and the founder of Future Money Trends, Daniel Amaduri. Daniel and I talk about how he built a real estate portfolio up to millions as a young man and then lost it all in a 2008 crash. He then rebuilt himself back up to millions in a short five years. We dive deep as Daniel shares about recovering from being broke, how he now teaches his children about entrepreneurship, his prediction on the global economy for the next 10 years, and his insight on location independence. You guys, without further ado, let's welcome Daniel to the show. Entrepreneur's systems, methods, tools, and tactics And listeners, I'm incredibly excited to welcome Daniel Amaduri to the show Daniel, how are you doing, my friend?
0: I'm doing great, thanks for having me on
1: Thanks for coming on the show Daniel, I've got to ask where you're calling in from today?
0: Uh, Austin, Texas
1: Oh man, you know I haven't been to Austin, but I have so many entrepreneurial friends that live there and love it. And I know more and more people that are moving there. Uh, how long have you been based there?
0: I relocated here in 2014, originally from Southern California. And uh, you're right; I, I've never ran into so many entrepreneurs <laughs> ever. I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, half my community works from home.
1: Did you? Is that why you moved to Austin specifically for the so I, the, the environment?
0: I moved uh, to Texas uh, because it's a no-income tax state, one of seven in the United States. Mm. Uh, and being from Southern California, warm weather was uh, very important. So it was pretty much between Florida and Texas. And ultimately, Texas won out because uh, the wife wanted to be a little bit closer of a flight back to California to visit family.
1: Gotcha. And originally from Southern California, you're, you and your yeah,
0: wife? Yeah. The- Yeah, the L.A. County area, both of us born and raised. Um, Love California, but the taxes and the business environment just got very difficult. So I was very happy to move to Texas because we fell in love with the people. Very, very warm and welcoming.
1: So I didn't realize that Texas was a no-income state. So basically, you get no tax on any personal income? Is that how it works?
0: Correct. So I still owe the federal government money, um, but there is no IRS for the state of Texas. So there is, no, there is no second form you have to fill out for the state.
1: So no state taxes?
0: No state tax. Income yeah. tax.
1: Excellent. I had no idea. Maybe I should put my address in Texas. um and then tell me a little bit about austin i know it's just the more entrepreneurs i meet the more are actually living in austin or spending quite a bit of time there Uh, what do you think it is about austin that that has gotten so many people there
0: you know that's an interesting question i mean i know some of the bigger tech companies have been here for a long time like ibm uh dell has a huge presence here the they started here um they've I think they bring about forty thousand jobs directly, and you can only imagine how many jobs they're supporting uh, from everybody who works there and spending money around the community. But now we have Amazon here and Apple here. Apple has a massive facility, so it's a it's a tech town, but it's also a college town, which makes it uh, fairly unique because you've you've got hundreds of thousands of young people, uh, but you've also got you know the cutting edge big tech companies. And then a ton of entrepreneurs. And then, and then the, the overall business climate and environment is so friendly here. Um, you've got so many people coming here to invest in Texas in general. Um, and also you've got very affordable housing still. Texas yeah. missed the boom, but they also missed the bust. So it's kind of a more stable market. Uh, it is getting higher in price now. But, uh, you know, for the last decade, uh, 15 years, it's been pretty, uh, pretty affordable for people.
1: How about cultural differences? So being a Southern California boy, um, I'm sure Texas environment's quite different for you outside of Austin. Maybe Austin's pretty, pretty similar. But um, have you experienced any cultural differences or any shock?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, so you've got the shock side of it is like last week, I had to get my uh, car tags updated and. In a, you know, at a, pr- at a private company. And, uh, the guy's got, you know, a gun on his side, uh, who's, you know, <laughs> taking my car around back to check the oil. Uh-huh. Um, so that's the shock side, the, but the, uh, the, the, the real cultural thing that I've really enjoyed is just the, the people are very friendly. Um, and yes. I mean, I'm to even sometimes on the freeways, people can be rather quite friendly. And, you know, when we moved in, I've had people bring me cookies and fruit, and people have come to introduce themselves to us. And, uh, when I'm walking on the street, if a car is coming, you know, against, uh, you know, towards me, they, they'll they literally go completely on the other side to go around me. Um, it's just and it's like that everywhere. You find yourself waving to every single person who drives <laughs> by you in the community. It's a very friendly place.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things I do miss about middle America is the politeness and friendliness. Um, and I do enjoy that when I go back every now, uh, once a year. So Daniel, let's let's talk about you a bit more. And I was reading your bio and reading about you, and you've done some amazing things, including predicting the 2007-2008 crash, um, calling for the Dow Jones collapse of Lehman Brothers and AIG, creating future money trends, actually going broke, and then creating uh, millions of dollars. And I think just a short period of time and the list goes on and on and on. You've done some pretty amazing things. But the one thing that stood out to me that I really liked and I want to ask you about it, it's you said, or anyway, uh, in your bio somewhere that I read, it said you're a full-time fact finder. And I'd like to know what that means to you.
0: You know, that's it. That's, um, something that, uh, I was introduced on a radio show one time and I kind of just stole it and took it and I was like I like being a full-time fact finder. And it wasn't so much that I'm I'm sitting here, you know, studying the news every day, but I I try to talk to different people in different sectors and I try to ask them what's going on and get their opinion. I was in Italy recently, I was talking to one of the guys and just asking them, you know, what their opinion is on on the unemployment situation and I would look at the data from the government. Uh, and then, kind of, you know, I like to just kind of do a little sampling myself. Um, so it's more like a surveying as well. Um, but certainly, when it comes to fact finding, when it comes to investing, and um, and personal finance, I like to look at the, the the results. You know, people will tell you to do certain things, like you know, you when you get out of school, go to college, and then you know, you out, you got to find somebody to. Uh, an employer to pay you benefits and 401k's and I kind of like, "Well, okay, so that sounds like a good plan, but what are what have the results been specifically for the millennials? How's that working out?" Um so I just I'm very I, I would say that the fact finding is is just a heavy uh, skepticism towards anything.
1: Do you can you balance that skepticism with optimism? I mean, it all I think all of us entrepreneurs need a bit of optimism to to believe in some of the crazy, wild ideas that we have, right? Is there, is there a balance for you between, you know, finding that skeptical line and also being optimistic and believing in some of the ideas that come up in your head?
0: You know, it's a, it's a good point because you do have to be optimistic. And you also don't want to be so skeptical that you don't try things that cause you to fail because uh, failure is very normal, and it happens often, more often than we think, um, and we shouldn't be afraid of it. So though I do want to be skeptical about trying and implementing new ideas or marketing ideas, certainly for my business, um, at some point in time you do have to take that leap of faith. Uh, so I, I personally do feel like that I'm i am an, I'm definitely an optimist, um, but I am skeptical of a lot of things. I've seen, you know, especially the older we get, right, I'm sure this we can all experience this. Uh, appreciate this or uh connect with this that the older you get you know look you've you've probably been screwed a few times um mm-hmm. and you've you've probably you know built some skepticism
1: okay daniel let's talk about your entrepreneurial career and I know it's you have a vast one. Did you grow up in an entrepreneurial environment
0: I did not uh, my father was um uh, an engineer worker mm-hmm. and my mother was a stay at home mom what but was, nobody really encouraged entrepreneurship.
1: What was your first business that you
0: started? <laughs> well, my first business, uh, uh, underage, was in uh, fifth grade. The teacher was selling pencils for ten cents to any for anybody who forgot their pencil. I started asking my mom for pencils, and I was selling them for nine cents. <laughs> and the only reason I remember that story is because I got in I got in trouble. You get into yeah, the teacher brought my mom to school and said, did you know Daniel's selling pencils? And, you know, it's, uh, it was the first time I got in trouble, really. Yeah.
1: Okay, what was the first, I, I guess you would say, official full-fledged business after that?
0: Yeah. Um, I, you know, when I was uh, 16 years old, I, I mean, but there's a lot of businesses between. But when I, I started a, a gym, uh, I bought into a gym um, with some other people that I was doing martial arts with. And I started running that at 16 years old. I was, you know, teaching martial arts. And that is one of the ways how I made money as a teenager. Uh, and then right out of high school, at 18 years old, I bought my first rental property. So that's probably moving into now. I have, I have a, a really, truly official business. Because uh, even when I did have the martial arts studio, the gym, uh, my father had to use his last name for the company. Um, excuse me, not his last name, but my father had to use his name uh, you know, on the business. Uh, but then I started, you know, the real estate business and, uh, went right out of high school and just started purchasing uh, rental properties. Um, uh, up until the point where my dad wanted to charge me rent <laughs> at that point. And I, I finally moved out at 22 years old. Um, but, um, yeah, I think I probably at that time had a million dollars of real estate assets under my control, uh, not in equity, but in assets. At 22 years old, and my dad was like, hey, you need to pay rent. I was like, I'm out of here. Uh, but I was sure having fun not paying anything, literally having zero cost, zero burn rate, and just I kept acquiring rental properties.
1: Yeah, of course. What type of martial arts studio did you have?
0: Uh, it was a Hapkido studio. So I, I joined when I was very young, um, and the situation was that the uh, one of the instructor, instructors had to leave. There was an opening to take uh, some equity. Mm-hmm. And uh you know the business wasn't making really any money, so it wasn't it wasn't a lot of money. It was more like, hey, we need somebody to come in on Mondays and Wednesdays, Wednesdays and teach, uh, and they can be an owner if they'll if they'll do this. So I was exposed very early on to running a business, to trying to make a profit, as well as selling people. Because even at 16 years old, I'd have to walk in with adults in an office and. uh Pitched them on the martial arts studio and signed the contract for whatever a month or a year whatever they were signing so it was a good experience even though i didn't really make much money because it just was more of a a passion business where you just loved it but you you know you didn't even care if you made money you just wanted the karate school to stay open um you know it it was a good experience
1: so we had a, a guy on the podcast just recently and he starts businesses that he's 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 emotionally invested in the success of the business but not the product. But he knows it's winning products. So do you balance that out when you start businesses do you? Because people say do do what you love, you know, follow your passion and people, you know, will start businesses a lot of times that are just hobbies without you know, figuring out the systems of the business and understanding entrepreneurship. And so do you, do you invest in businesses today that you're passionate about, emotionally invested in the product, or do you keep that separate?
0: I would say in my own life of what I do, I definitely want to do what I'm passionate, and I would say that I, today I do my hobby. Um, when it, when I, I was doing future money trends essentially for nothing uh, and YouTube for nothing, because I just wanted to do it. It was totally you know, just me doing it and having fun. I've been reading economic books and personal finance stuff since I was a kid. And I just love talking about this stuff openly. So before I even had my first advertiser, I was doing it for free and was a hobby. Now when it comes to my investments, uh, it doesn't matter to me uh, if I enjoy the product. Uh, the, the, the biggest things I invest in, uh, especially when it comes to startups, right now is cannabis. Mm-hmm. And I had actually not even tried cannabis until about four years ago. Um, <laughs> but I, you yeah, know, so I mean, you can imagine in Southern California, right? I, 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 you know, didn't try it in my teens. I didn't try it in my 20s. And I, I tried some of these edibles uh, where you can eat it um, you know, at 30, at age 33 years old, 32 years old. So, I mean, I, I wasn't passionate about it then. Um, and I'm, I wouldn't say I'm passionate about cannabis now. But I would say almost every investment I have and every startup that I'm helping to fund and create is in the cannabis space right now, and that's because I see the opportunity. Um, but I couldn't honestly tell you that I'm really passionate about it. Um, but you know, it is—it's—it's it's an investment. So, but certainly, if I was going to work in the space, I'd want to make sure that I'm happy and excited about waking up every day.
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Now, you probably were holding some real estate in a two thousand eight, two 2000- thousand. Nine mortgage crash, and and also, but you predicted it as as well.
0: Uh, it's correct. I'm I'm on. It's public. You can go to YouTube. It's March eighteenth, <laughs> two thousand eight. Uh, I did my first video, and I predicted Lehman Brothers. I, I even said the Dow Jones was going to go to about eight thousand, uh, and the Dow at the time I think was about twelve thousand five hundred. And um, I I told everybody that would listen to me, all my family and friends, sell their homes, get out of the stock market. But I uh, suffered from just probably thinking I was smart because I was, uh, you know, buying houses as a kid at in the year 2000 in Southern California. Well, think about what that does to a young person. You know, I've only experienced success. Everything yeah. I buy is making 10000 a month in appreciation. And so in 2007, I'm knocking on doors and I know the foreclosure list is getting thick. The, the papers that the title companies give me and I'm also knocking on a lot of doors because uh, I was flipping houses. So I see that it's going to fall apart, and I'm telling everybody. But in my mind, I'm like, you know, I'm smart enough to get in and get out. So what, my, what I did, I was trying to beat the crash knowing it was coming, and I went all in. I literally took everything I'd ever made and put it in the housing market in 2007 in an attempt to make, you know, $10 million uh, so that I could, you know, prepare for this coming crash, this coming winter. And I listed them. I, went, I left my comfort zone. Even I used to flip houses a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars. You know, the first one I went after uh, was you know five hundred thousand dollars. Fixed it up. Put one hundred sixty-five thousand dollars in it. Listed it for a million dollars. Was on Flip That House and everything. It looked like a big success story. <laughs> listed it three days later. Bear Stearns goes under, oh. and the rest is history. I chased about eleven houses down. Uh, completely imploding my, uh, every financial success I had. Wow. And um, it was a disaster. And in, by 2008, late 2008, um, I was sitting in a bankruptcy attorney's office with my wife. And I'll never forget that moment because she was crying. She did not want us to file bankruptcy. Um, she just felt like it was just, it was throwing in the towel. So we ended up not filing bankruptcy. Uh, but We had certainly had to start from scratch, and it was a very, very difficult time in my life because I was depressed as an entrepreneur, as a young person who always felt destined to be wealthy. I felt like that was my chance. I was washed up, and it took me a long time uh, to recover. And my mindset was that we were going to be into a severe depression, so I ended up getting a job at a grocery store. First time I (laughs) let go of my entrepreneurial spirit, I was like, yeah, because I was thinking, hey, my mind wasn't thinking how to get rich. My mind was thinking what will survive you know, and I was like, God, fuck <laughs> people are gonna buy food, so got a job at a grocery store.
1: Right. Oh uh, well I can I can relate because I went broke in two thousand eight too and uh lost a business and lost a car, and so I know that was a tough experience. I'm curious, like how long did you stay in the grocery store before those entrepreneurial wheels started turning again?
0: So I got the grocery store job in uh, I would say um, February or March of two thousand eight, and mm-hmm. I quit in October of two thousand ten. Um, now, as far as the entrepreneurial spirit, I started the YouTube channel almost the same time I started the grocery job. and I would work the grocery job at night and then um, you know, once a week every Friday I would do a YouTube video. Well, it got very popular, and uh, Google had taken had just taken over YouTube. They reached out and said, hey, we're going to start a partnership program, fill out this thing, and you'll start making money. And um, I did, and sure enough, I was starting to make like 2500 a month from Google Ads, just doing my normal videos. Uh, then another group said, hey, we want to put a, an advertisement on your intro, and we'll pay you 1000 a week. And again, this is my hobby. I'm just sitting here doing these uh, videos. I did 248 um, unadvised edited YouTube videos, some of them up to 30 minutes, just me talking uh, in front of a camera. And, um, you know, so I started to make money from my hobby. And my wife actually uh, was really wanting to quit her job because in 2009, we had just had our first uh, kid. And um, she was actually the one pushing me to start a newsletter. She goes, why don't you start a website? Why don't you start a newsletter and you can have uh, generate uh, revenue from advertising and um, she did this for about six months. And finally, I, uh, I started Future Money Trends in uh, July of 2010, officially, and uh, wrote for it for months and months and months just uh, before we even put up our first advertisement. Uh, so that's how, it, that's how it started.
1: Was the grocery store, job the job at the grocery store, your only source of revenue or, or job during those two years?
0: Luckily, it wasn't because we'd probably be living in a box. Um, <laughs> I, my wife was a teacher and uh-huh. she made uh, about fifty-five thousand a year plus benefits and the whole thing. So, th- so that's another thing. When um when I did decide to quit the grocery job and end advertising um, from YouTube and stuff to focus on future money trends and building that, that was hard because uh, we knew when my with my wife quit, that was that was a very safe safe job and again everybody consider the, the the time we're in 2009 people are being laid off by the hundreds of thousands you do not let go of a government teaching job where you're my wife by the way she was um in california she's te- she was tenured which meant you know outside of uh you know becoming a serial killer you couldn't fire her yeah um so we had a very safe stable income so when she quit that job and uh you know, we went full-time, you know, future money trends. That was a, a big leap of faith. But I'm so glad we did it because, honestly, once once I was 100% focused on future money trends, the income uh, came in with advertising and, and just, it was shocking. Um, you know, we had, um, let's say, 2010, um, as a couple, probably made, I don't know, $70,000. Future money trends, in the first uh, 13 months... Uh, made one point one million dollars nice. and I was the web guy so think about what our expenses were uh, ten dollars <laughs> for goDaddy mm-hmm. um, and you know fifty dollars a month for eye contact so we had almost no expenses at that time
1: incredible I, I want to ask you about uh, again back to the grocery store experience being um, a young man that created a significant amount of wealth and generated success for himself and then all of a sudden um and having these all these properties and then all of a sudden going to sacking groceries uh, and for two years how was that how did you handle that how did you keep your morale and keep keep your head above keep your head up and keep going through
0: that time uh, vast quantities of alcohol. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um,
1: some people you know, do I, that, I, man. I, you know, in recessions yeah. and depressions, uh, alcohol <laughs> stocks go through the roof, right? That's right. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, so I, I, it was a very depressing time to be honest with you. And I, I did not look forward to that job. I hated it. I hated every second of it. Um, I tell people all the time, that experience taught me to, you know, a lot of people say they don't want to lose their job. That made me terrified of ever having one again. Yes. Um, so honestly, when we were building wealth um, and when, when I was working at the grocery store, my main goal was to not be poor. Uh, so we honestly, uh, we had we had created a very sustainable lifestyle. So even though our income wasn't that high, uh, we had purchased like a $95,000 house two hours away from where we were originally raised because we were living now in the desert of california but we did that because we paid that sucker off really quick uh we were aggressive uh my wife and i and you know it, it taught us uh to 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 the the appreciation of frug- frugality and the virtue mm-hmm. and the enjoyment of of not wasting and um it was actually uh, in hindsight it was a very good time in our lives i mean my wife uh, sold her her wedding ring so we could pay off our cars wow uh, she had the same you know 200 hundred dollar coach bag for five years um and a lot of this stuff kept going um so you know even three years into being a millionaire i was still driving an 03 ultima uh I, my wife was still driving a 10 year old uh, toyota truck um but you know we we um we enjoyed that lifestyle of of saving and building and just and it really you know helped us be home and we got rid of the TV we got rid of direct TV we got rid of our bills and so uh, you know we began to form a new lifestyle and culture almost like uh, what some people in other countries enjoy where instead of my wife we broke out of this routine of uh, of being busy and um, and you know watching a lot of TV or something during the week and, and all of a sudden it became you know sitting around outside watching the sun go down, drinking wine, talking to a 930. And that that became our lifestyle. And to this day, it still is.
1: Yeah, that's. A, I think everybody needs to experience either some type of form of slash poverty or going broke and rebuilding themselves because it, it creates appreciation, especially on the back end when you do have money. And I think the world
0: needs a little more of that for sure.
1: Okay, excellent. So I have a few more questions I want to ask you. Um, can I can
0: I say something real quick? Please, about please, that? please, please. That is one of my biggest thoughts with my children. Um, yeah. You know, I'm I'm trying to figure out how do I make sure that I don't rob them of failure, because if you rob them of failure, you're robbing them of success. And uh, it's it yeah. is something. What you just said is really on my heart.
1: Do you do you have any thoughts about how you might handle that? How old are your kids now?
0: So they're four, six, and—or, excuse me, one just turned seven. So four, seven, and eight.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and they're definitely, like, little crazy little entrepreneurs right now. And, of course, they've been <laughs> brainwashed.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> They play nothing but cash flow and Monopoly. Yeah. They've never even heard of Candyland.
1: That's awesome.
0: So, um, <laughs> but uh, they literally—you—you'd laugh right now if I showed you my kitchen. There's a whiteboard, and you've got like the rich dad, poor dad, uh, cash flow quadrant <laughs> thing going on down there. Right so now. we're talking about it. what's an asset. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I—I the only thing I can think of, and I, I have been reading books on on families that have have, have had successful uh, transitions, because I certainly don't want them also to start over, right? They shouldn't have to start over because they could actually build on, you know, they ask me all the time, dad, are you going to become a billionaire? I'm like, "Yeah, probably not. And I'm like, but for you, you got a real shot here because I've, I've started <laughs> you higher. That I'm passing the baton at a much higher level. <laughs> so, um, but I think the, 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 the best thing I can do for the children is just to not bail them out and certainly not to give them things. Um, I do deprive them of a lot of things and, you know, they'll, they'll ask me, um, you know, uh, if they can have something, I'm saying, sure. How are you going to make the money to get it? And, um, you know, Mr. Wonderful, uh, Kevin O'Leary said something that really, I really liked, uh, now he's got teenager or his children are older now, but he tells a story about how he sat in the front of the plane and his son said, dad, how come I'm in the back? And he's turned to him and said, son, because you don't have any money. Uh, my kids aren 't old enough to do that yet, but i can 't wait till I sit in the front and I, I hand them their you know forty six uh, d tickets
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and and you know bootstrapping a business is always a good experience too starting from from nothing and maybe a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks and creating a business and I think that 's a valuable way to learn how to grow businesses up for people that haven 't before. So, uh, I want to ask you some questions about what do you think, what's your prediction on the global economy for the next decade?
0: Well, I think the technology part of it is just going to be so radical. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, everybody listening, to this, think about it Instagram, Facebook, some of the biggest companies that we interact with today did not even exist 10 years ago, yeah. um, or they had just started. A lot of my investments these days, uh, you know, Fundrise and Pierce Street, uh, Rich Uncles and all these crowdfunded real estate uh, businesses, they weren't around a decade. They weren't even around for the 2008 crisis. Um, So there's just so much changing. I can't even imagine what uh, it will look like 10 years from now. I think there's, to me, there's two things that I'm watching. Uh, Number one, the technology and the digital revolution and how, We're just going to, you know, keep absorbing technology where we're going to be wearing technology we will be connected (laughs) to the Internet. Um, So there's that part of it where the world is becoming, you know, the the, the chance of having a major war is just keeps getting smaller because we're just more and more interconnected. Um, And then there the second side of the global economy that I look at is not as optimistic. And that is the sovereign debt and public debt. Mm. The world is up to their eyeballs in debt and specifically in the United States, which is the reserve currency. So, uh, I you know, I don't know what's going to happen over the next 10 years, but I certainly can – I have to imagine that there's a, a high likelihood that there will be some sort of financial crisis greater than the 2008 financial crisis over the next 10 years, um, and it's going to be over the debt that our government is in, the United States as well as other governments, China, Europe, everybody's in debt. People – you know, think the dollar could collapse, but the the real the truth is the dollar is the uh, tallest midget in the room. And the other <laughs> currencies aren't that great either. Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, you know, I'm keeping an eye on Bitcoin as well, the cryptocurrencies and, and gold. And so um, you know, but overall what the economy has looked like, I I think I think we're going to continue to improve. I know a lot of people think that Things are bad, but honestly, um, poverty is down worldwide. Uh, things are improving. Uh, there is a there is a wealth gap out there, but you know a lot of people don't factor in that that the poor for the lives are are improving globally worldwide. Um, and the good news is is because of nuclear weapons and because of globalization, there just there's not going to be another war. There's not going to be another major war. Hopefully. Because, because that, that nuclear weapons are one of the greatest deterrents ever to mankind to ever go to war again like we used to. Mm. Um, and, and then globalization. I mean, I can, I, can, I can be friends with people in Iran and chat with them on YouTube and, and Skype. And, um, you know, the, the boogeyman that the governments have created for us are, are crumbling uh, all around us.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Do you do you think there will be a global depression like so many people talk about?
0: I think the chances that the, the, the there's definitely a chance that that happens because of uh, we're we're living in an unsustainable situation globally. If you think about the United States, we borrowed a trillion dollars this year. Yeah. So we have to really ask ourselves, uh, you know, is, is, are we living in in a normal world? You know, you've got central banks openly buying stocks one of the biggest purchasers of the stock market in the US stock market is the Norwegian and Swiss central bank really? uh, that is all false demand fake demand because that is uh, somebody creating currency out of thin air and then and then purchasing real assets it's been going on for a long time now but uh, since 2008 it's 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 been unprecedented we're and we're we're really an experience five an experiment, experiment. 5000 years of monetary history there there's never been negative interest rates like this and um you know if you think about it a negative interest rate which is what's what's happening in one-third of the central banks that is a default if i if i if you loan me ten dollars and i promise to pay you back 950 i've defaulted on 50 cents of the debt Mm -hmm. that is literally we we we're seeing a default um from central banks and you know, I, I think the the chances of having some sort of worldwide depression is in the cards because of what happened in 2008. It all goes back to 2008. We never we never cleanse the system. the the bad banks, the bad debt, the bad practices they never got flushed out. Uh, they remain, and unfortunately, uh, they they bailed out the big banks so they consolidate it, which has you know it. I I know I know really good bankers. Uh, like the uh, a company called everbank, they were ready and prepared to grow their market share uh, in two thousand and eight and instead they didn 't get to grow their market share instead, they got dealt with a ton of new regulations and the bigger banks consolidating their power so I think uh, there there's I would be shocked if we didn't have a a major crisis over the next 10 years.
1: With that in mind, and knowing what you know now, if you went broke again and you could only build an online digital business, what type of business would you build?
0: Um, Well, I'm a one-trick pony when it comes to what I I love. I've always loved personal finance and entrepreneurship, and I'm a big believer that the trend in our economy is a freelance economy. And I would want to continue teaching people how they could uh, become freelancers full-time, how they could become entrepreneurs uh, doing what they want to do. So I'd want to start the same business I have right now. Uh, Another business that I would want to start if I had to start with nothing is I would want to be tied into the cannabis space. I could get passionate about that real quick because I see that as something that is a major trend uh, that will grow during a depression. Uh, and it, and uh, you're seeing it become legal in Canada in about two weeks, le- fu- yeah. fully legal. Uh, but Europe is also uh, some countries like Italy and Greece. And I think there's going to be a race to legalization there. And the United States, the, it's the, the, you can't put the toothpaste back into the tube. It will eventually become legal here within probably five years. Uh, so I, I, I think that is a, is a trend where you had talked about earlier in the show, you know, the alcohol companies did well during the Prussian. I think the cannabis companies will do just as well.
1: Yeah, so, okay, one more question going back to relating to the possible global depression. If you had two options for investing in, gold and silver or crypto, which one would you choose?
0: So I'm going to piss off a lot of people either way with this answer. <laughs> uh, I wanna just, I'm wanna i going to have to start. You know where my answer is when I start the, the answer like this. Right. Or where my answer is going. I was one of the first people to profile Bitcoin at $13. Um, back in 2012, one of the first people to go to all their conferences and really adopt the cryptocurrency. But if I only could pick one, I have to go with gold because gold is one of the only assets that I'm aware of that's never gone to zero. Even real estate can go to zero because it can be blown over by a hurricane or destroyed by a war or natural disaster or confiscated by a government. Gold has never gone to zero. So I think if I had to just sit on one asset, I would hold gold. Not expecting it to go up, just expecting it that it would be worth something on the other side. Excellent answer.
1: Now, I know you, over the past few years, when you were regrowing your businesses into the millions, you mastered some productivity techniques and also uh, understanding the importance of enjoying what you do and and being comfortable with working less and making more. So uh, what are some of your favorite productivity hacks or tech tactics that you use now Daniel
0: so I try to do all the hard stuff immediately and right away so right when I wake up um, you know I, I do have a routine of, of of going over with my children of everything we're thankful for uh, I, like I usually that. relax yeah. with them having coffee uh, while they eat their breakfast and then once they're done with their breakfast I head off into my office and I try to do all the big tasks first so uh, night before but the end of the day today I'll, I'll, I'll put down everything I need to do right away uh, in the morning, and I'll try to get those done right away. That way I can spend the rest of my day reading, uh, perhaps chatting on the phone with somebody who I'm interested in investing with or investing in. Because um, ideally, I want the majority of my day to be um, more relaxed and stress-free. Um, so I like going you know, for a nice walk, listening to podcasts like yours. Um, so my, my my biggest productivity uh, um, recommendation to people is just make sure you write down what you want to accomplish. Don't make it a crazy list because as an entrepreneur, it's never ending. And that <laughs> is one of the problems as an entrepreneur. You could go sixteen hours and you could convince yourself to keep going. Yeah, uh, but at some point in time, you have to set some boundaries and um, uh, you know, you know, make sure you're you're not neglecting the rest of your life. And uh, especially for me, it's very important with my children. Uh, you know, just like the clients get my, have my full attention, my business has my full attention right now. Uh, but come four o'clock, I am going to put the phone on airplane mode or throw it in a drawer, and my kids will get my my full attention. They'll get my eyes when I'm talking to them. They'll, you know, whatever they want to do. if We want to go to the park, whatever. Um, it's very important to me that, um, you know. So people sometimes get upset with me because I don't re- I don't respond to anybody at the, in the evening hours. But it's like, look, you know, I I, I, at some point in time, I have to, um, you know, make sure that my life is balanced. And I definitely want to take care of the people that are in my life, my children specifically, Uh, they're young. And I know the window of opportunity. Uh, Right now, they they care about me a lot. Uh, But my eight year old in four or five years, he might be more focused on being out exploring and looking for girls or playing with his his friends. (laughs) And um, so I just want to make sure I don't I don't I don't miss this opportunity that uh, all they care about is daddy, daddy, daddy.
1: And I know you mentioned that having that freedom is very important in your life to spend time with a family. But also something that I think is really cool with in trending more and more with entrepreneurs that have families is traveling and being able to have that liberty to, I think you went to 10 different countries in the past year. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I've taken the kids to 10 countries um, this just past year. And, um, we, we really stuck together and travel and they, if occasionally I'll do something for the business when I'm traveling, which is rare. Um, uh, and, and I'm saying like a business meeting or something, but when I, what, but I'll bring them with me, they go, they go wherever I go.
1: And then also you're working on possibly trying to live abroad for an extended period of time in, in Asia. Is that right?
0: Yeah. I'd like to actually do Asia, Europe and South America over yeah. the next three, or four years. Um, and it is part of it is just for the children to really help them uh, adopt and, and learn the, the 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 cultures of other people and to really understand and perhaps uh, have more exposure to foreign language. Um, I really like Asia though. Um, I think it's you know it's an, it's an interesting place. It's adopted uh, Western business and uh, British common law in the sense of property rights. Many parts I'm talking about, mm-hmm. obviously not all of it. Uh, but it, it doesn't have a lot of the baggage and a lot of the stuff that the United States is dealing with as far as, uh, you know, just kind of an old democracy that, uh, who knows what's about to happen here in the next 10 years. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) leave it at that. That's good.
1: (laughs) And, uh, I think we'll have one more question, Daniel, and then we'll wrap up. If you knew that you had a hundred more years to
0: live, what would you be doing differently? I don't think I'm doing anything differently. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, um, uh, because I, first of all, I'm kind of I'm I'm crazy enough to think that these big billionaires uh, in the tech industry might actually help us live a lot longer than a hundred from <laughs> now be, on. And I be. kind of think people under forty-five, fifty years old, we probably got a little shot here. I'm thirty-seven, so I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I, I I don't think I would be doing anything differently. I'm very happy. I, I really am living my dream life uh i'm 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 i I do my hobby for a living and I can go hang out with my kids right now if I want to there and they're they're on the other side of the wall
1: yeah I asked that question to a, a guy in the episode on the podcast just a little while ago, and he said I would work less and and that's funny because it's kind of the same answer that I imagine he would give if if he knew he only had a few years to live too. So, mm-hmm. but he said, I'm still yeah. going to keep working really hard. And I thought, well, maybe you should work less. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, Daniel, we're going to wrap up there. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on and follow, sign up for your newsletter or your YouTube channel, where's the best place they can do that at?
0: If you go to futuremoneytrends.com, uh, you can subscribe free uh, to my weekly wealth digest. Uh, you won't be hit up with any sort of, uh, subscription or credit card, uh, payment information. It's a free subscription. Uh, once a week, I, I share a, a story from my past or share some sort of principle I learned on how to build wealth. And then, um, uh, I also share something once a week. Uh, so you get about two meals a week, uh, on a new, th- a new idea that I've, I've come across or a new investment. Uh, recently we just profiled Fundrise, a private real estate read. So You know, each week, if I'm I'm going to put my money somewhere, I share it with the audience.
1: Thank you for all your tips and tricks, Daniel. We really, really really appreciate it. And uh, listeners, thank you guys for joining in once again. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our annual Get Shit Done Live Retreat in Thailand. Both are designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done rapidly. And whether you need some personal coaching while working away at home or a retreat in Thailand where you can get out of your normal routine and surround yourself with other successful entrepreneurs, we have those options for you. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com and we'll see you on the next podcast.